The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! To the Third Man Podcast, the Jack White Third Man Records History Program, and I'm your co-host Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host James Kaminsky. James, are you recording? I am indeed okay, recording. Good. All right, lovely. We're live. Uh, this episode is going to be a fun one, James. I'm really excited about this one because it is an idea that once again I nicked from another podcast, but it was in a it, Paul's the Little Saint Nick. <laughs> we talked about a lot of albums on this program, and. In those album analyses and reviews that we do, we tend to have a section which is uh, designated to talk about the critical reception of the given album. Mm-hmm. And I am always interested in reading those, but I never really had a snapshot of what that landscape actually looks like. The language of rock criticism has been such a a make or break moment for some artists over the years and people can really do some nasty hit jobs if, if they would, are so inclined but that's not what this show is about but it got me thinking about yeah jack has an interesting relation with the critics because when the white stripes got started 
they were critical darlings because they were unknown at the time. So everybody got to be the cool, hip person that was listening to the cool, hip band no one was listening to. But even when they caught on, the sound had that kind of rock-ism noise attached to it that made it very easy for it to be the cool band to listen to and the cool thing to glom on to as a rock journalist. And what I say by rockism is this idea that rock and roll as an aesthetic has to be a certain way in order for it to seem authentic to a, a critic when they're reviewing something. So it, it has to be kind of dirty, uh, somewhat autobiographical, and have these sort of quasi-macho aspects to it, which is actually speaks to the idea that most critics through the course of rock journalism have been dudes. So anyway, it got me thinking about like, yeah, but in the solo years, once you're removed from the White Stripes and all of that, what are they really saying about him? Now, we know bits and pieces, but I never really got a snapshot of it. And James, you always seem a little more plugged in than I, because whenever you would say things like, well, pitchfork or jerks, I never really kind of understood what that meant. Mm -hmm. Well, I read a lot of the reviews and stuff. I don't know. I, I spend a lot of time online. I'm one of, the, <laughs> James I'm one of those very trolls. Online. I'm literally in my basement on the internet right now, Paul. Um, <laughs> uh, so, like, I, I don't know. I've read a lot of material based around Jack White because I'm interested in it through the lens of a lot of different magazines and publications because that's what was out there and what was kind of defining it. And, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it just kind of seemed to be the way. I mean, Pitchfork had a reputation for being tastemakers to a point they were the pinnacle of what you wanted you wanted to impress them because it was hard to impress them right and then you know once hipsterism started to be thrown around in a derogatory sense it started to wear on people and people stopped seeing them as cool and started seeing them as assholes and and it right they fell sort of by the wayside now they're trying to work their way back this is now if any of them out there works for pitchfork this is not me saying this is a blanket statement this is just kind of the vibe that they exuded through the last 15 to 20 years or whatever so perfect that's what i want to talk about so that's that's the vibe that's the impression but what are they actually saying so that was my point in like wanting to do this episode and to get a snapshot of not just what they're saying but what other outlets are saying. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I compiled three categories, music magazines, music websites, and entertainment media. Mm. And I took two of the bigger behemoths from each of those subcategories. And I took two examples of each of those. And then I went in and I found what they said about each Jack White solo record. So all five of them. And what I want to do today is walk through that with you, see if we could find any patterns or points of interest along the way. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to be joined by Consequence of Sound staff writer Jonah Kruger, who's going to talk with us about the ins and outs of his experience in rock journalism slash rock criticism and he's going to also tell us about what went into his review on Consequence of Entering Heaven Alive, which was the most recent Jack White solo album. So we are going to attempt to thread the needle of being both pleasing to Jack White and his crowd and to critics. So we are, <laughs> we're really, uh, we're riding the razor's edge here of uh, making everybody mad. We're just going to make everybody <laughs> mad. <laughs> 
Um, but that's it. Uh, it's it's an interesting concept, and I'm really glad that we're going over it because rock criticism is it plays a really important role in the music, and also it plays an important role in someone who is putting out an album. I think it's safe to say, kind of late in their career in terms of Jack White. Retaining an audience is trickier the longer your band stays around, unless your sound is fresh and exciting. And I think Jack White has accomplished that, but a lot of that is hinging on critics and reception from people. So I'm interested in hearing about it. I would also be interested in hearing solo stuff aside. Now, this is another episode entirely, but going to the White Stripes, seeing how the critics responded to them in the beginning and then plotting exactly (laughs) where they go in the future on those very same albums to see if things have remained or, you know, Get Behind Me Satan comes to mind. I have a very heavy inkling that that album has (laughs) definitely gone up in rating since its creation. I'm hoping to make this a series. And I focused on Jack White Solo purely because it was the most recent example of this type of thing. And so the actual research would be a bit easier to do. Although, God save me, I had to buy a temporary digital subscription of Rolling Stone. Just try and unsubscribe from that. I dare anybody out there to do that. Here's what they do. This is true. I am going to gotcha journalism, the journalists at Rolling Stone, In order to cancel your digital subscription to Rolling Stone, you have to send a very specific person an email, and then that person will write you back and say, if you reply to this, we're going to keep your subscription going. That's the opposite of what you'd expect. (laughs) If you don't reply to this, that is you telling us you don't want your subscription anymore. So they basically make you play a game of chicken where if you accidentally said thank you in response, they would renew your digital subscription. So they're they're really doing a lot of double negatives here. They're like, do you not not want this? Okay. <laughs> it, it was awesome, actually. It was such a wild experiment in how do we desperately keep people attached to it. But I, I went with the solo years primarily for that reason. This is the most recent information. But I would love to take a look at the white stripes love to take a look at the raconteurs be dying to know what they thought of the dead weather <laughs> but as we'll find out not all these outlets always cover jack stuff so that's another side of things too mm-hmm. but we'll start here with the music magazine so they're the grand old ladies of rock journalism rock journalism kind of comes about in the late 60s i would say i mean obviously there have been reviews and things and newspapers and stuff but the rise of rolling stone and of cream magazines like that you really see toward the tail end of the 60s into the 70s and since then they have been kind of the institutions i've talked about it on the show before but what i used to do was take a look at all of rolling stone's reviews when i used to have a physical subscription And I would look at each good review and I would say, oh, that sounds like something I would like. And I would download a song from that and and I would go by review by review. So there's an example of me actually using or assuming that Rolling Stone knew what they were talking about. And that's a whole other part of it, too. It's like there is a power there um, Mm -hmm. behind the rock criticism. But anyway, so I started with two grand old lady magazines, Rolling Stone and NME enemy on the other side of the pond they're obviously an english magazine rolling stone started by jan wenner in the tail end of the 60s as a way to say that nobody else was great but john lennon um (laughs) so we'll start with rolling stone so we're going to do just the solo albums jack white here so we'll start with blunderbuss 
The date of this review was April 24th, 2012. The reviewer was Rob Sheffield, so big name in rock journalism. Obviously, they handed a big heavy hitter to a the first Jack White solo album. You know, I think he was still, I think still critical darling at that point in time. You know, people were clamoring for White Stripes. It was a different environment 2012 yeah. than it is now certainly yeah it was the unexpected when this album came out so people were obviously excited to hear what a uh, jack white solo would sound like if it would sound like the white stripes or if it would sound like another one of his offshoot projects and as it turns out sound like something completely different and mm -hmm. uh, kudos to jack for that but the star rating on this was 4.5 out of 5 so very, very high rating from Rolling Stone. I also made little designations for when there was a headline or a subheader. There was no headline or subheader on this review. But as you can hear, favorable review. And I pulled a pull quote for each of these. And this one is from Rob Sheffield saying, Through all the heartbreak, he, meaning Jack White, remains a mystery man. As if Don Draper went to that Rolling Stones show on Mad Men and ended up jamming with the band. White has the Midwest con man reserve of Draper, along with the flamboyant yet unknowable flash of Jagger. So Blunderbuss gets stranger and more fascinating the closer you listen. It doesn't give up any of the man's secrets. And make no mistake, that's exactly how Jack White wants it. This firmly dates the article, though. <laughs> like he really, it really does. It's like if he did a Game of Thrones thing in 2011 or whatever. You know, it's yeah, okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> but I do like the metaphor being used here, and the writing is eloquent. We'll talk later with our guest about the writing styles and how that's a major part of review work. But he's good at telling a story about what he thinks about an artist or an album. So mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, and I'm going to point out some patterns we start to see in this. The idea of Jack as mystery man yeah, so comes up a lot. <laughs> the idea of him as Willy Wonka comes up a lot. But I think the note behind the note there is this idea that he is a puppeteer pulling strings. And there's some quote in here where they talk about what Jay-Z had said about him, which was... Uh, Jack White's not a businessman. He's a business man. Um, Sick. And that's how a lot of these reporters refer to it. So let's move on. So next up is Lazaretto. And this Rolling Stone review was dated June 10th, 2014. So two years difference, more or less, two years and two months, give or take. The reviewer is David Frick, another well-known music reviewer. So again, they're putting the good people on, on the Jack albums. And they give this one a four out of five. So less than Blunderbuss, but still four out of five. That's a pretty darn good grade, I would say. Mm -hmm. No headline or subheader again. And the pull quote from David Frick at Rolling Stone on Lazaretto. Jack White makes heavy, turbulent, modern blues records the same way he pursues his other passion, furniture restoration, with a decisive attention to contour color scheme and kg durable detail i like that yeah it's the puppet string thing again the attention to detail thing mm -hmm. I, I very much like that metaphor and linking it to his upholstery in the same way i think that's a very clever analogy yeah, i do too yeah so we have two 
favorable reviews, but they're going down. What do we know about David Frick's thoughts on Blunderbuss? Does he mention it at all in the review? Does he like um, Blunderbuss? I'm curious. Because we have two different reviewers, so I'm curious if he would have been more favorable towards Blunderbuss, or would he have been less favorable towards Blunderbuss? Well, here's the thing. With one exception, all of these have different reviewers hmm. for each of the albums. It's never the same guy reviewing the same thing twice. Um, mm. So I don't know if he mentions it in there. He probably does. They tend to. In fact, they tend to almost always mention the White Stripes. They almost always mention. Kind of hard not to with Jack White, unfortunately. <laughs> so <laughs> I was going to make this a surprise for the end. In fact, no, I'm going to keep it a surprise. Okay. But keep, keep that in mind, this idea of what they're also mentioning elsewhere. But so that's the review of Lazaretto. Now, here comes the real divergence in the woods. In 2018, Will Herms reviews the Jack White album for Rolling Stone, Boarding House Reach. Mm. And what I found was some interesting things about Boarding House Reach. And we always knew that record was divisive, but I never really kind of had an understanding of just how divisive it was amongst the snooty rock critic. The star rating on that is a 3.5 out of 5. So again, sliding down. Middle of the road, yeah. Every album reduces by a half a star so far. There is a headline on this one. The headline is, Jack White messes with identity and rock history on the endearingly weird, surprisingly relevant boarding house reach. subheader haters may hate but white remains a rock and roll white guy who isn't afraid to wrestle with big issues that is a pretty favorable headline and subheader even if Mm -hmm. the star rating is sort of lukewarm the pull quote from that boarding house reach is a messy sprawling daffy howling set that sounds spiritually hungry collectively driven and instinctively a little bit lost. It is his strangest record, but per usual, it shows his continued devotion to Rock's dark arts, the tangled cultural roots, mistake-enhanced recording traditions, self-righteous fury, and fetchingly deranged megalomania. Whoa. That sentence is like positive negative positive negative positive and it is kind of frenetic in its in its way i mean i'm i for one am thankful that uh because of his meddling in the dark arts we have somebody <laughs> to save us against dormammu so <laughs> thanks jack um azeroth metrion zinthos uh i think is what raven would say with her dark arts <laughs> so <laughs> some interesting insight there i think i would agree that the record feels a little bit lost 
So I think that he's picking up on that. And I don't think it's a stretch to call it a strange record. No. <laughs> I would say that's probably <laughs> the most basic thing you could call it. It is different. It is so strange. The, th- the thing I notice is that all subsequent albums suddenly they stop dwelling on the white stripes they still mention the white stripes but they start dwelling on boarding house reach and everything becomes compared to boarding house reach from here on out uh, well so he he did a he did a palette cleanser album is what he did <laughs> that's right he was like i'm sick of you guys talking about this old band that's 10 years gone already let's yeah. talk about my new weirdness <laughs> this weird thing i made for you all um okay so moving on Next album, Fear of the Dawn, April 2022. The reviewer for Rolling Stone, Corey Grow. Sounds made up. Um, <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> the star rating, 2.5 out of 5. So, uh, again, the slide continues. More um, like Corey Boo. <laughs> yeah. Headline, Jack White's Fear of the Dawn is a bizarre, euphoric experiment. Subheader with collaged guitar lines and Cab Calloway samples. The former white stripe embraces his avant garde side for a bizarre listening experience. Pull quote The pop song collages are sometimes jarring and sometimes recall the late 90s when every rock band attempted to write songs with trip hop beats. Some for the better, like Garbage's first two albums. Some for the worse, like Sting's Desert Rose. White just has to hope that listeners have the same attention span and patience that he has. I think that last sentence is kind of fair, or that last bit of the sentence is kind of fair. There's an element of this record and in Jack White's whole career that actually demands patience. Yeah. Yeah, he's challenging the audience to a degree every time he releases anything. From the poll quote, I don't disagree with what is being written. I think I disagree with the star rating, but I don't disagree with what's being written. Uh, same with uh, it's weird because like Boarding House Reach, I think I, I think I run pretty parallel to what they wrote uh, and yeah. star rating wise. Like I think I'm kind of with them, which is weird because I'm not usually that way with Rolling Stone. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I think that's interesting. I don't, I don't, I guess this one is still wrestling with the same weird energy that Boarding House Reach was. I just feel like it is more successful and I feel like therefore deserves better. But I'm not, I'm not the critic here. They are. And uh, they're ones making the tastes. Yeah, they're the ones making the tastes. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Yeah. And I think we were in a rush to defend Boarding House Reach when it came out. But I do find it interesting in the context of career what that album has meant to him. Mm. Sort of fascinating that he did that. <laughs> fascinating that we all listened to it. Like, <laughs> what a, it's just it's just fascinating all around. I think what's telling is that it, it most of the songs from Boarding House Reach play no part in his current solo set. Do we know if he's played any Boarding House Reach songs on the last tour? I'm sure he's played Connected by Love. And he's def- I think he's played over and over and over as well. But Yeah. The com- the commercial. Com- There's a lot of bad isms out There's there. There's a lot of, of the I almost said that when you were saying rockism. <laughs> I was like, There's a lot of bad isms. 
So that leaves us with Entering Heaven Alive, reviewed on July 20th, 2022, this time by David Brown for Rolling Stone. This one did not contain a star rating, although the Metacritic score was 70. So that's... That's a lot of stars. (laughs) It went up. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, that's higher than... um, Fear of the Dawn, certainly. So there's a headline on this. Jack White's Entering Heaven Alive is a singer-songwriter therapy session in a good way. The subheader, the Mercurial Rocker's second album of the year features some of his best music in quite some time. So this was a very positive review of Entering Heaven Alive. And the pull quote I pulled on this one was actually quite short, but it is the records that have accompanied each of these makeovers have been equally varied, if exasperating. Huh. So what they're saying is, it's interesting what he does from album to album. It's but exhausting by it. <laughs> <laughs> and it can be exhausting. The the one thing that I would say he has done to mitigate that exhaustion is spread them out over time and spread other and bands and i was gonna say and sprinkle in other sounds in between that people are more inclined to feel comfortable with your raconteurs your dead weather etc he's giving everybody a taste of what they know and then he is throwing in what they should know yeah so if i had to sum up the rolling stone thing in an arc i would say hey (laughs) Seymour, what you kind of see is, hey, (laughs) we kind of see is like, this is really good. This is more of the same. The fuck is this? I don't know what to think. Oh, these are nice songs. So that's Rolling Stone. So let's move on to Enemy here because we've got a lot of a lot of ones to cover. So Enemy on the other side of the pond gives you a different perspective, the English perspective. Delightfully snarky, I'm sure. But let's take a trip, James, through Enemy's reviews of the different Jack White solo. Well. Hello, hello. There it is. There's the good stuff. So Blunderbuss reviewed in 2012 by Barry Nicholson. Barry gave the album a four out of five stars, so less than Rolling Stone gave it. Headline, Jack White returns with a long-awaited glimpse into his world. So there's that notion, his world. Also, I, I found, pops up a lot. The pull quote is, The album's lyrics will invite debate and interpretation, something that's wholly deliberate on Jack's part. If sending out lyric sheets to reviewers is anything to go by. But musically, too, Blunderbuss is a beguiling thing. This is the side of Jack White he's happy to show the world right now, and it's absolutely fascinating to behold. So another bit of context here. A lot of the Blunderbuss reviews I found focus on like his feud with the mm. Black Keys, his divorce from Karen Elson. Like he at that time had was gaining a lot of headlines in a bad way for, you know, short temper stuff, you know. And that tends to permeate mm. some of these reviews. I like that Beguiled is in there because um, if I've gained one thing from all of these reviews thus far, it's that the mystery is the main focus of almost every review. There is something everybody is wondering and curious about every single time. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, the fuck am I? what is this? There's almost a, there's a bit of fear in there. And then that, that could either spark anger mm. or delight, you know? So two years later, Lazaretto, the follow-up. 
reviewed by Rianne Daly. Star rating 3.5 out of 5. So, so far consistently lower across the board than Rolling Stone. The headline, Black Humor, Heavy Rock, and Hints at His Troubled Personal Life on a Varied and Eccentric Second Solo Album. So again, they're focusing on the headlines. It's the guacamole thing, isn't it? Which is... They're really focusing on that. (laughs) Yeah, for some reason. The pull quote I uh, yanked from this one, Jack White has always crammed his music and lyrics with riddles. There's your riddles. And red herrings. And it's helped make him a continually interesting artist. It's no different with Lazaretto, a second solo album that's as musically eccentric and original as its predecessor, Blunderbuss, covering rock, soul, funk, country, folk, and barroom blues, sometimes within the same track. So, Some say he's a little bit country. We, some say he's a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> I, I, I do think that there are some definite... If, you, if you're getting your graph calculator out, you could definitely plot some points on the graph here where there's mystery... There's eccentricity mm-hmm. and original tend to pop up a lot. No matter what they think of the album, those three things are a big part of the reviews. And I think that speaks volumes about the music being produced. Yeah, they tend to describe it almost like one would describe a car crash or something. Like they couldn't. Beguiling. Uh... <laughs> no matter if they like it or not, they can't look away. Um, so here's an uh-huh. interesting one. You ready for this? Four years later, 2018. Leone Cooper gives Boarding House Reach a five out of five. Oh, <laughs> okay. White's third album is a wild, wild ride, and we're fully on board, is the headline. Pull quote, Jack White has finally lost the plot, and he sounds totally brilliant. On his third solo album, he's at last shaken off the bluesy shackles of the White Stripes and has created something wild, mysterious, and unlike anything else around. Bravo, Jack. Boarding House Reach is a willfully weird patchwork of New Orleans jazz, rabble-rousing, testifying gospel, squelchy chip-tune funk, game show jingles, early Bronx hip-hop, and the occasional sound of a microwave malfunctioning. (laughs) think tom waits meets the beastie boys and you're kind of getting there i mean color me surprised i was not expecting that i got the right guy to write the review i guess i the uh, riddles are in there there's the mysteries back uh but um i don't know what they mean by lost the plot i've uh, maybe they're just like <laughs> i do that does, album seems i mean insane. it seems it's, it's, it seems <laughs> off <laughs> <laughs> it seems off brand <laughs> but yeah i mean i i like i like the enthusiasm in me keep it up well that's that's the interesting thing i found people either really loved it and were disappointed the subsequent albums weren't that or people hated it and were relieved that the subsequent albums weren't that but regardless of where you fall on that spectrum that album becomes a delineation point pretty much across the board. I want to uh, back to graphing. I would love to see. I can't wait until we get to the the other tiers of reviews because if they're follow a certain pattern because uh, these I mean not to sound like a smart ass but I think some of these big publications they're kind of stuck up and like to feel superior. So if somebody doesn't quite understand a thing, they're like, well, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. This microwave functioning is brilliant. Uh, so let's move on to fear of the dawn. This is by Mark Beaumont. 
in April of 2022. Star rating, three out of five stars. So pretty good, but not the five out of five Boarding House Reach got. Headline, Guitar Wizard Meets the Audience Halfway. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't sum it up, I don't know. What uh, this guitar wizard has stopped fighting Dormammu. Uh, He's... I mean, it's really funny to me that they basically but, just say the quiet part out loud. They're like, he didn't know what to do if that last one was going to connect. So he's like taking a, he's dipping his toe back in. Uh, subheader, having only half checked out of 2018's experiment, Boarding House Reach, the former Stripe has compromised with an often purposeless follow-up. Pull quote. Better to illuminate than merely to shine. White sings on an album closer, shedding my velvet. A chintzy mid-paced throwback to the sort of 80s soft rock that Robert Plant indulged around 1983, minus a chorus to take it anywhere of note. the idea here to gently illuminate the sonic possibilities in his music rather than let the songs radiate on their own merits but the track also helpfully self-reviews fear of the dawn i'm not as bad as i was but not as good as i can be whoa (laughs) so i don't actually know where that reviewer falls on boarding house reach because it sounds like they're saying he didn't go far enough, but it also kind of sounds like he's happy he didn't go far enough, but it also kind of sounds like he's he's disappointed. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't think this reviewer likes Jack White because it sounds like they're just unhappy with everything. <laughs> so let's go to Entering Heaven Alive here. So this is the last in the magazine segment. This is reviewed by Thomas Smith, July 2022, star rating four out of five. So the first four out of five since Blunderbuss. Same rating as Blunderbuss. It starts with previous guy fired. (laughs) (laughs) Headline, Entering Heaven Alive, his richest and most satisfying solo era yet. Subheader, released just three months after Fear of the Dawn, the concluding part of the former White Stripes twin album collection showcases his often breathtaking artistry. Pull quote, There's a temptation with White to believe that he can only be one thing at once. Stray too far into the unknown and his work risks being called divisive and abrasive. But retreading old glories would be admitting defeat. What has made the release of these twin records so satisfying, though, is his ability to cater for all, but on his own terms. This is a creative period one suspects that both fans and White alike will look back on as one of his most complete and satisfying yet. With little ghost stories and tales of the glories of Blunderbuss <laughs> long, long ago. 
<laughs> I mean, I think he kind of nails it, Thomas Smith yeah. here. He's like, all right, you guys all want different things? <laughs> Fine. Uh, this, weirdly, I'll do uh, aside from uh, Boarding House Reach, the most favorable review of a Jack White solo album from NME. Weird. I mean, not weird, but strange that they didn't love the first two more. That seems to usually be the common thread, at least in my opinion. But we'll find out. That's what we're yeah. doing here. We're exploring. Yeah, so the grand old ladies, one of them bought that fucking ticket for Boarding House Reach, and one of them desperately sold it on StubHub. And you keep saying grand old ladies. I I, I don't know that term. What are we doing? What, what, what's that? Is that what they call themselves? Uh, yeah, they call it, was it the New York Times? Grand old lady? Uh, it? It's a publishing thing. For something God. that's been around a long time, I gotta get on the. I gotta get on the, the old lady bandwagon. So let's talk about music websites. So these are the younger guns. Tend to be younger guns, although they're all Gen Xers and, and above. But uh, younger guns by comparison, for sure. So I did mm-hmm. Consequence of Sound. Okay. And I did Pitchfork. So we're gonna start with Consequence of Sound here. Blunderbuss. Michael Rothman, back in 2012, gave this album a C plus. Passing. So, no headline, no subheader, pull quote. He's a little scatterbrained on Blunderbuss, as if he's still shaken up by his past to move forward into the future. And as a result, Jack White represents everything Jack White has already accomplished. Not too shabby of a handle, but there's just something slightly irritating about it. Like there's a secret that was lost or just never there altogether. Does that really matter, though? Truth is... There isn't a fan of his that won't be waiting outside their local record store for this release. So technically, he's already succeeded. Now, could you imagine if he had actually become a preacher? Wow. Um, clearly, they know <laughs> something or two about about the man. I don't know if I necessarily agree, although, the, I mean, yeah, no, I don't agree. <laughs> but whatever. Much like that other one where you're like, I just don't think he likes Jack White. I don't think Michael Rothman thinks very highly of Jack White. But he does acknowledge that there's a fan base there. Well, I think he, <laughs> that, it's it's said in an almost derogatory way. It's like he didn't have to try because people are going to buy the record anyway. Which is not a foregone conclusion. They'll um, get it from buying the tickets for the <laughs> for the, the concerts. That was another thing that came up. Is like he had a streak going that he definitely did not hit with um, Fear of the Dawn and Entering Heaven Alive. Blunderbuss, Lazaretto, and Boarding House Reach were all number one albums. Uh, I didn't go into that side of things, like the actual sales yeah. charts, because that's a different thing. But there was a streak that was broken by Fear of the Dawn. But I think that has to do with, well, changing musical landscapes, his star fading slightly, and also the fact that it's not attached mm-hmm. to the tickets. Like, I think that was really propping up bo- both Boarding House Reach and... Help uh, a stranger. I help a stranger, yeah. So let's move on to Lazaretto here for Michael Madden in 2014. Metacritic score of 67, so also bad. Worse than Blunderbuss. No headline, no subheader, pull quote. One of the best things Lazaretto has going for it, though, is its lack of self-seriousness. On entitlement, White, as a rich and famous dude, takes a chance and sings in the first person in spite of himself. Stop what you're doing and get back in line. I hear this from people all the time. But there are goofy lyrics, too, and they keep the album lighthearted. Who is the who telling who what to do? 
goes the hook of want and able. A Charmin soft lullaby about... That's a fucking funny line right there. A Charmin soft lullaby about desire versus ability. told some of these songs are appealing because jack white who's getting a little older and a little wiser is singing them on the other hand some alone in my home for instance might be fairly popular because of our culture's taste for offbeat relatability all right so consequence did not like the first two jack white albums (laughs) they did not indeed which is interesting because you think a consequence is kind of positive Mm. but they did not care for these should yeah, we find out yeah. What they gave no, I need to know. Do you have anything to say about Lazaretto? Not much to say at this point. <laughs> I mean, I I'm disappointed that no one's giving Lazaretto a better score than Blunderbuss because I like it better. But that's me. Personal tastes are personal. So, <laughs> only the second female reviewer so far on Boarding House Reach here, Lena Lacaro. That tells you something. March twenty eighth, twenty eighteen. No star rating, but a Metacritic score of seventy five. So not quite a C plus, but a, a rock solid C. Headline: Jack White gets joyfully weird on Boarding House Reach. Sounds pretty favorable. Subheader: The third man himself wisely shakes things up with more funky freakouts. And the pull quote: It seems everyone has something to say about Boarding House Reach, and for White, that is ultimately a good thing. The essence of experimentation is taking chances. As we get older, it's how we shake things up. The key to pulling off something new without looking like you're trying too hard or selling out is maintaining the essence of who you are when doing so. White's reverence for classic music of the past is still a big part of who he is now. He's just shifting focus with a more manic and multifaceted approach. That's not weird. That's smart. I think that's a level-headed review. I think that's a very yeah. balanced, I'll say fair and balanced review. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a very, I think that's a very uh, fitting write-up. And I don't disagree with the score either. So yes. uh, I think it's fine. One of the rare, like, could take it or leave it boarding house reach reviews of the bunch. Yeah, I find that that reviewer didn't, dwell on what they don't like personally and instead dwelled on what the music could bring to others and what it is bringing to the artist and i like that fear of the dawn by al shipley reviewer uh april 8th 2022 metacritic score of 91 so high they really liked fear of the dawn headline jack white's fear of the dawn is loud scronky and delightfully unaccommodating (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, subheader, the rocker's first of two 2022 offerings is loud, woolly, and experimental. And the pull quote, if all of this sounds like it should be exhausting, it actually isn't. As White briskly blows through each idea and wraps up the album in a tight 40. Wow. I love how his, his part of the thing he liked about it. It's short. Well, uh, I mean, but there's something to say about that. Yes, it's it doesn't linger too long. It exactly. doesn't overstay the welcome. But um, I, I love the word scronky. <laughs> Consequences winning me back. Yeah, They're taking me back. It's Gently. interesting. They're kind of all over the place. Consequence. They're, they're sort of an outlier and like, yeah, Jack White. <laughs> and then like at a certain point, they're like, yeah, fucking Jack White. So that leaves us with our buddy Jonah Kruger's review of Entering Heaven Alive in July 2022. Also a Metacritic score of 91. So Jonah liked the album, although you will hear in much greater detail about that later in the episode. Headline, Jack White's Entering Heaven Alive as an acoustic wonderland of his own design. So there's that crafting his own thing idea again that they cling to. Subheader, the yang to fear of the dawn's yin is softer but no less rewarding. And the pull quote, despite having none of the studio flashiness or digital trickery of its counterpart, Fear of the Dawn, Entering Heaven Alive is just as consistent, rewarding, and miraculously fun. All right. Yeah, Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll obviously talk more about that later. I think that's a very fair review as well, though. Personal bias aside from the fact that we talked to the man, I think that is a very well-written response to the album. Should we move on to Pitchfork? Yeah, let's get there. Get your pitchforks and torches ready, everybody. (laughs) Pitchfork is interesting because they actually follow a very similar path to NME, actually. And they're not, it's not as as nasty as I thought they were going to be. But let's start with Blunderbuss from Ryan Domble on uh, April 23rd, 2012. Star rating 7.8 out of 10. I love the 0.8. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just a decimal off a 7.7. Like, come on. Like, what do you, what's the, where's the point eight? It's 78 out of a hundred. Why don't they just do that? (laughs) Headline following the dissolution of the white stripes and his marriage to model singer, Karen Elson, Jack White releases his first solo LP rife with songs about fear and loss. Blunderbuss feels unusually personal. Okay. Pull quote within white's oeuvre. Blunderbuss hangs in a kind of limbo. It's closer to Earth than its fantastic white stripes, yet further away than the sometimes pedestrian raconteurs or dead weather. It's got some of his best pure songwriting yet, but no Earth-cracking riffs. Still, as a treatise on loss and its schizophrenic aftermath, Blunderbuss is a purposeful success. I love them calling the raconteurs pedestrian. pedestrian. Okay. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, they're right in a way. I just, it's a funny way of saying it. Like they're more mainstream to a degree. Accessible. Uh, you could just say accessible. <laughs> they didn't have to be like dicks about no, it. No, no. Like, they could well, have just said it. <laughs> like I said, they have an air of being above everybody else, which is what they're kind of known for. Well, yeah, they worked in oeuvre and treatise. I was going to say, oh. they, they really did break out the thesaurus to seem to, to show their <laughs> level of intelligence but so that brings us to lazaretto from jason green in uh, 2014 okay star rating 7.1 out of 10 so boy just lost that 0. 0.7 
Um, if only. <laughs> but pretty, pretty consistent. The headline, since the white stripes split, Jack White's work has become fuller, but his idiosyncrasies have dimmed a bit. Lazaretto then makes all of his other projects sound a bit scrawny by comparison. Scrawny. It's the, it's the scrawny. It's the densest, fullest, craziest, and most <laughs> indulgent that White has sounded with or without Meg. That's the headline. Pull quote, in its volleys of nimble fingered riffs and its willy nilly combination of styles, Lazaretto is all about virtuosity with White reverting back to the idea of blues rock as a form of emotional confession, a space where you can project feelings that reenact age-old dramas. Yet, White sneaks in a few jokes at the idea. So here's what I'm hearing from Pitchfork. I think they're reveling in what they perceive as pretension. (laughs) Like, I think... (laughs) They think... That Jack White is just as pretentious as they are, and that's why they're giving these first two favorable reviews. <laughs> it's entirely possible. I think also they're trying to seem in on the joke. I think they're being like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. Um, and what they don't understand is that the they're the joke. Um <laughs> They're the entitlement. Uh, anyway, I, 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 you can see the chip on my shoulder for Pitchfork. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What, I'm be, so uh, sorry. Yeah, let's move on. Let's see what they say about Boarding House Reach. Jason Green in 2018 gave the album. He's back. Oh, my God. There's a duplicate. Holy shit. You're right. That does not happen very often. I think this is only one of two times that happens. Jason was on board for Lazaretto, but he gave a star rating of 4.7 out of 10 for Boarding House Reach. Again, that's 0. 0.7. You know, if they if Jack had just worked 0.3% harder, <laughs> he could have gotten a solid five. Uh, headline is, with the joy and wit all but absent from his songwriting, Jack White's third solo album becomes a long, bewildering slog. Pull quote, Sadly, the years have steadily whittled the playfulness from White's material. His work is now too lumbering and unmoored for anyone to take much pleasure in it. After the stripes broke up, and he began to dress more and more like Johnny Depp in a Tim Burton film, he started to carry himself like Depp too. A former boy genius soured into a man, an iconoclast trapped in an icon's body, his brief reminiscence on boarding house reach about learning to play piano quote i sat there for hours trying to understand how to construct a melody is swathed in fluttering curtain synths almost as if the moment is too painfully unreal for white to recall clearly listening to boarding house reach it is hard not to feel a pang for what we might have lost alone in his little room working on something good <sighs> so Jason was, didn't, didn't care for that. Sorry, Jason. That review was exhausting. Um, I these are just the pull quotes, by the way. Like there's whole, there's whole reviews attached to these things. I know. It just it, it seemed like he built Jack up to be a certain person in his head, and he was disappointed by it. And I think that's I think that's a lot of people. 
I do. I mean, that's celebrity in general is you put somebody on a pedestal and, and get mad when they don't do exactly what you want them to do. But like, yeah, get over it. Like he's doing something <laughs> different. Like stop writing your weird fan fiction about Johnny Depp and get over it. Anyway, you again, I'm very aggressive towards Pitchfork. And <laughs> I didn't realize that until today. So I guess my war with the fork has started. Well, let's keep the fork going. Album Fear of the Dawn reviewer Evan Wright-Lewski gave Fear of the Dawn a 6.5 out of 10, so better than Boarding House Reach, but still less than the reviewers had given the first two. Headline, on his first of two solo albums planned for this year, Jack White earns his eccentricity. An illogical fusion of blues rock and carnival prog. This music is genuinely, imaginatively weird. Fair, yeah. I think. Sure. Pull quote, listening to Fear of the Dawn, it's hard not to marvel at the disconnect between White's public image as a traditionalist, the blues purist yelling at everyone to put away their cell phones from the top of his personal vinyl pressing plant, and the absolute unmoored borderline absurdist record that he just made. When an artist tries as hard as White to be eccentric, the last thing anyone wants to do is give them the satisfaction of acknowledging it, but he has earned it. Fear of the Dawn is fu- <laughs> Fear of the Dawn is fucking weird. Not obligatorily weird or try hard weird, but genuinely imaginatively weird. Okay. So he's sort of calling him a hypocrite a little in there, but he's also saying like, yeah, but like <laughs> He's earned it. Like, <laughs> but earned, there's that earned, like earned from who, for what? Like, it's all relative. All this stuff is relative. Uh, yes. I would say that review was fine. Uh, is fine. I'm okay with it. I, yeah. It sits in its air of pretension that Pitchfork is used to, from what I can tell, uh, which is they're calling him a tryhard, but they're like, but he deserves it. And I'm like, mm, okay. Sure. So they're, they're doing that thing pretentious people do, which take something that is inherently uncool and talk about how uncool it is. And then at the end be like, it's so uncool. It's cool again. I think so. <laughs> I don't want every review to be favorable towards him. I get that people sure. like what they like and tastes differ. Yeah. I just find that there is a lack of understanding in a lot of these pitchfork reviews or not even understanding a lack of respect. Res- yeah. Um, yeah. I guess respect is, the word i feel like they think more highly of themselves than others or at least feel they're in a position to dictate what you should and should not listen to and that their tastes matter more is kind of the read i'm getting from these and i don't appreciate that you can hate jack white it's fine i don't think anybody listening dislikes jack white but i know a lot of people that do and most of their criticisms i find fair but they're not like (laughs) They're not tearing the man down. These ones are just like, he's Johnny Depp. They're like, okay, yeah, Twitter said that ages ago. You're just shut the fuck up. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm going on a rant here. Let's round out the Pitchfork one with Entering Heaven Alive by Andy Cush. Gave the album a 6.4 out of 10. Oh, that point, it's 0.1% worse. We, we've given a lot of shit for us doing like 2.75 men well, out of three. <laughs> <laughs> that's because we gave ourselves three men and we did it on a scale of like 10, basically. So we're just, anyway. Headline, the follow-up to this year's Wild Fear the Dawn is a stripped-down songwriter record, but often the songs don't resonate as deeply as it sounds 
no subheader. Pull quote. For me, Entering Heaven Alive suffers because its settings imply a compositional weight that the songs just don't carry. Fear of the Dawn has a clearer sense of itself as a collection of shiny amusements. In a recent Consequence profile, White said he's no longer interested in producing for other artists, which is kind of a shame. It's clear that he still knows how to craft a hot record, but it might help if someone else were writing the songs. Hmm. Now, I don't agree with that entirely, but from my point of view, what has been absent from Jack Records has been like the craft of songwriting a little bit Mm. as like a thing. And it's been more about the production. So I understand what they're talking about here. I just disagree because I think that the songs are good on entering heaven alive. I have now turned around on pitchfork in this particular review, because I think that this is a respectful critique of the work. It's not trying to tear him down. They have actual criticisms that can be expanded upon if Jack were to read this. He can use that information if he decides to do so to better himself. And I feel like that is the mark of a good critique is to not just say this is bad, but to say what they could have done better or why this is less successful, not necessarily bad. Right. So I think this review was closer to what I would consider a pretty fair critique. Yeah. All right, so last subcategory is entertainment media. So these are publications that are not linked intrinsically to music, but just to entertainment in general. I chose Variety and Paste as my two samples. And interestingly, Variety doesn't start reviewing Jack White albums until Boarding House Reach. Mm. And I think the only reason they do is because this guy, Chris Wilman wrote all of them. Wow. <laughs> so... I think Variety either got a staffer who was a Jack guy <laughs> on board <laughs> or I don't know. Maybe, maybe there were just no takers until this guy came on board. But Chris Willman gives all three, Boarding House Reach, Fear of the Dawn, and Entering Heaven Alive, the same score, the same Metacritic score of 90. Huh. So Variety has... No Variety. A, a guy. <laughs> <laughs> variety has a guy who fucking loves Jack. And it wants to talk about him in Variety. And not only that, loves New Jack. New Jack City. So let's start with Boarding House Reach. Subheader, White mixes a prog rock poetry trip hop jazzy interlude retro funk with his signature hard rock riffing in a boarding house that doubles as a fun house. Hmm. Pull quote, no one is likely to accuse Boarding House Reach of being Jack White's best album. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's subject to arraignment on charges of being his giddiest, most experimental, and most glamorously fun. <laughs> he set aside nearly all the acoustic Americana touches that fitted through his previous album, 2014's Lazaretto, opting for an anything-goes grab bag of funk, prog rock, poetry, trip-hop, goofy, ser- sermonizing, and not to abandon all registered trademarks, vocal shrieking and guitar shredding. Not everyone will go along for the ride, but it's a kick to hear White jettison something of the remaining vestiges of his roots rock formalism to get loose and play Funhouse King. All right. Those are the kinds of reviews that got me excited for the album, and I respect it. Yeah. I think what we're seeing, though, with these... um, mainstream entertainment i say mainstream whenever somebody says mainstream in an argument just assume they're crazy um (laughs) when when we're seeing these sort of like general like they're not puff pieces but they're like entertainment's fun you know like um we're seeing a bit of a kinder approach i think sure yeah well they're they're not trying to argue for the fact of anything they're just trying to They're just trying to write about entertainment, you know? They just want to be entertained. Unless you're TMZ. (laughs) Right. So the uh, Fear of the Dawn, again, gave the same score to everything headline. Jack White goes bonkers with a deliriously twisty head banging on Fear of the Dawn. Quote, bonk me, Jack Daddy. (laughs) So better. (laughs) Its busyness may not be for all tastes. But White's latest is thrilling enough to almost make up for how unexciting most of the rest of rock and roll is right now. Pull quote, I'll admit I wavered a bit on the album in early listens. My first response was to crank it up. Literally, LOL. At the aud- he actually wrote LOL in this review. At the audaciousness <laughs> of some of the moment-to-moment wild turns and wheelies. I miss Pitchfork. And to <laughs> Mike Myers in his driver's seat, albeit shifting between back and forth and up and down banging, given the musical shifts in mood and momentum. On second listen, I found the album exhausting. Why can't he pick a lane? Why is there a different guitar tone every 20 seconds? Is this like a sound effects record? And then from the third listen on, I was convinced I was right the first time. And this really is an over-caffeinated blast through and through. Maybe just don't put it on right as you're leaving the spa. I take that back. I love this review. (laughs) I I loved it. And then I hated it. And then I loved it again. (laughs) Who am I? (laughs) Oh... And then his Entering Heaven Alive is uh, the headline, Jack White rocks you gently with Entering Heaven Alive, his second terrific album, 2022, pull quote, as his croon becomes a bellow in that moment of romantic euphoria on mid-album highlight Queen of the Bees, it feels as manic a moment as anything on his electric albums. The rub is gentler, but there's no less reason to feel tickled. And then I listened a second time, and I thought it was just trash. <laughs> so that's variety. And so let's uh, let's just go through paste, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here. I have a surprise right at the end. So okay. Notice there's only been two women so far. Album blunderbuss reviewer Austin L. Ray, star rating eight. Pull quote: It's a good thing the White Stripes broke up. If they hadn't, we'd still be suffering through overblown, overrated albums from a band that hit its peak sometime between 2004 and 2006. Oh. Instead, 
we get Jack White left to his own devices, this is a good thing. To quote his holiness, Hova, White's not a businessman. He's a business man. At the end of the day, White's still an enigma. And so is Blunderbuss. Its mystery is unfolding in odd ways when you least expect it. Kind of like White's career, come to think of it. I appreciate that they're loving Jack for his Jackness, but like, what world do they think the White Stripes was wrong? No, I don't think it's wrong. You could you could make an argument that people got a little excited about it and it was probably a little overrated in some circles. Like I, I can see that. I can see that. Okay. See that. Let's move on to Lazaretto. We got only a couple more here. Douglas Hasselgrove gave Lazaretto an eight point five, so higher than they gave Blunderbuss. No headline, no subheader, pull quote. In the end, Lazaretto is an album that will probably work its way slowly into its listeners' hearts. The songs are exciting, effortlessly creative, and full of risk-taking, but White taps into the vein of classic rock just enough to filter all of his weird extrapolations so they're comprehensible for his audience. Lazaretto is an album only Jack White could make, so it goes without saying that it is one of the most exciting albums anyone's heard in 2014 so far. So that one calls it accessible. So let's move on to Boarding House Reach. Eric R. Danton. Thanks, gave Eric Bo- R. Danton. Gave star rating 7.3 to Boarding House Reach. So uh, one of the rare middle-of-the-road Boarding House Reach reviews. Pull quote, what makes Boarding House Reach feel as weird as it does is sheer eclecticism on display, which says more about the way White is usually perceived than about his actual musical output. Though he's long been considered an eccentric who does things differently than everyone else, he's been almost rigorously consistent about it for the past 20 years. His latest, and his first true departure, is unfamiliar at its core, a challenge to absorb, and also a fascinating turnabout from an artist who is demonstrating that he is more willing and able than most to subvert the expectations he's created for himself. So all of these paste reviews have been about him, really, and not the records, actually. Mm -hmm. And then in a rare double appearance, Eric Danton is back. (gasps) Mr. Danton. To talk about Fear of the Dawn, which he gave a 6.5, so lower than Boarding House Reach. Mr. Danton. Headline, Jack White emphasizes volume on Fear of the Dawn. Subheader, massive guitars don't leave a lot of room for nuance on his latest. Pull quote. Heidi Ho is the most memorable track on the album, even if it would be a stretch to rank the song among either artist's strongest work. Rather, it is a reminder of how interesting White's music can be when he opens himself up as a conduit for his most eccentric musical impulses and lets his creative id run wild. Though it has its moments, Fear of the Dawn isn't quite wild enough. So there's somebody who thought he was on the right track with Boarding House Reach and then thinks that he didn't go the distance. All right. Well, fine. (laughs) 
Our anyway, last, our last one entering heaven alive from Grant Sharples. So that is again to recap a total of two two women reviewers. Star rating five point seven. Headline on entering heaven alive. Jack White doesn't commit to the bit. Subheader compared to its irreverentially strange predecessor. The second of White's 2022 albums sounds reluctant and unsure of itself. Poe quote, Entering Heaven Alive is seldom actively bad, but the most interesting component of either of White's 22 albums is that, well, there's two of them. Whoa, that is scathing for an entertainment magazine. Taste was unkind. So mm. here's the surprise, and we're going to put this on our social channels and stuff. I'm going to share my screen and show James what I did. I made a word cloud. I've made a word cloud of the reviews and I filtered out things like white Jack, you know, stuff like that to try and get to the bottom of what people are actually saying about these albums. And there's a couple like uh, outliers because I didn't filter everything out, but, and this is me taking all the text from every full review I did and creating one big document with just a wall of text from all of these reviews and then putting it through a word cloud AI filtering out certain things. So these are the words that were said the most songs. This people are talking about the songs stripes. Mm -hmm. So people are talking about the white stripes a lot. Meg. (laughs) Meg is in there. Yeah. Funk. Weird. Career. Yeah. I like that one because it's interesting. Uh, everybody often talks about his career. Hold on. I have an actual list of the um, frequency of the words. So let's go to the first one. Stripes is mentioned 52 times. Guitar is mentioned 46 times. Rock is mentioned 44 times. Love is mentioned 43 times. Blues. The blues are mentioned 27 times. Three. The number three. It's in there. <laughs> number three. Yeah. Mentioned 25 times. Riffs is mentioned 19 times. Mm-hmm. Women, Women, 17 times. They talk about the raconteurs 15 times. Funk. Stick. Funk and Meg are both mentioned the same amount of times, 14 times a piece. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> so just an interesting little snapshot there of what they're kind of talking about. Basically what it's boiling down to is they talk about the white stripes a lot. That's kind of, yeah. And they mention funk way more than I thought. Well, Boarding House Reach and Fear of the Dawn inject a, a heap and help and a funk into the system. Uh, so let's uh, kick it to our third man for this week, James. What do you think? Let's do it. We'd like to welcome our third person this episode, Jonah Kruger. Jonah, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having us. Or me. You know, the plural yeah, us, uh, me and, and all the thoughts in my head and all the voices. <laughs> I, I, also me. Thank you for having me too, Paul. Jonah, you popped <laughs> on our radar because we very much enjoyed your review of Jack White's Entering Heaven Alive album for Consequence of Sound. Well, thank you. And we're doing a spotlight episode on the critics and their relationship with Jack White's solo through the years, because it's kind of an interesting relationship that... Jack White has with the world of rock journalism. Mm-hmm. At some 
points adversarial. He, of course, began as a critical darling. And then, you know, mm-hmm. as these things move and evolve, his role and the role of the critic judging the music has changed and evolved through the course of his, you know, 20 odd year career. And so we wanted to get your insight basically into your background and how you got into rock journalism and give us a little bit of insight into the process of the music review, because frankly, it's a mystery to me. Uh, we've had a lot of folks on this program, and we've never once asked them about that. It's um, true. And also, we play the role of rock journalists on this podcast, but not very well. And we'd like to, we'd like to get a professional uh, yeah. to tell us just how bad we're doing. Well, yeah, professional is a lofty word. I'll get there one day. but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Jonah, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started in rock journalism, and what brought you to Consequences Sound for that review. Yeah, for sure. So, I kind of started my rock journalism journey in high school. So I went to high school outside of Cleveland in a town called Bay Village. And we had, it was like a brand new like AV style class that was hosted by like the shop teacher that had no business teaching, you know, Premiere Pro (laughs) and any any sort of visual (laughs) communications. But he was, you know, he's doing his darndest and uh, they somehow got a budget to get like some cameras and whatever. And so, you know, I enrolled in the class and uh, we basically just kind of produced like a weekly or twice a week news program that would run during like free period and stuff like that. And up to that point, music had always been a really big part of my identity. It's how I made a lot of my friends. Um, I mean, we spent all of our weekends and all of our limited money going to shows uh, as close as we were lucky to be close enough to uh, like a somewhat major city. So we had some good people blowing through, whether they're like, big ticket people like, you know, like a Paul McCartney or somebody coming to like the big arena or just somebody coming to a club nearby kept us busy. And I had a lot of friends that played music and I, you know, I dabbled and I was self-taught a bunch. I'm in a band now, but back then I was way too scared because all my friends were way better than I was. (laughs) But so plug the band. What's the band? Yeah, please. uh, Six Flags guy. We got our first single coming out December 12th. We're really excited about it. I'm really proud of what we accomplished it's just vangabus i'm hoping it's just vangabus but it's the, the <laughs> yeah but uh we tried that one and they they threatened to sue us no i'm just kidding um <laughs> we'll have a link for everybody in the show notes everybody go check that out we're gonna check it out maybe we could play a little bit of it right here But at that point, I was really coming at music from just like an uh, admirer standpoint. My friends would play and, and do some performances, mainly through like School of Rock type organizations. So I wanted to be a part of music as much as I possibly could. And to that point, I had no faith in my artistic abilities. So I was like, what's the next best thing? 
well, I love writing and I do a lot of writing. So what if I can be on this side of the music industry and make that kind of a big part of my life? So my first foray into it was in this AV class to get back to that. And they had printed out these because he was the shop teacher. He printed out like metal fake like press passes that would just get us into like the football games <laughs> and we wouldn't have to pay like the five bucks or whatever. <laughs> but I was like, how far can I stretch this? So it was, I think it was like 2015, 2016. And not to show my age here, but being in high school around 2015, 2016, you couldn't get away from Mac DeMarco. Mac DeMarco was all the rage. It was him and no one else. And he was coming to the House of Blues in Cleveland. And I figured, okay, well, I have this press pass. What if I just go to Mac DeMarco and try to get an interview? So I sent it, you know, out of the blue. I'd never done it before. I sent an email to his publicist. And he's like, well, no, you can't do an interview, but we can get you a real press pass if you want to take pics and cover it. And I was like, yeah, I do. So, you know, I got my ticket. I got to shoot it. I made a whole story for the little news program we run. And like from then on, I was like, okay, wait, so I can write about concerts and get tickets for free and then maybe even meet these people? (laughs) Like what? And so as it came time to like start looking at colleges and what do I want to do and based off the encouragement from like certain English teachers and everything they really hyped up my writing abilities and everything so I figured all right well I'm gonna go full in uh, on this journalism writing thing and I'm gonna try to backdoor my way into just like having my whole life be about music and so I, I came to college I was in a journalism program I immediately joined the student radio station so I was DJing on air I ended up being the news editor for our like music publication type website called acrn.com then i was the general manager of it and so we were booking and everything like that and so i really just like did everything i could to just get my name out there get bylines hone my voice i took classes with teachers like one-on-one that examined the history of rock criticism and and the role of the critic and like you know like why do we even have people telling us what to think or you know like is this a a good thing a bad thing what's an ethical way to go about it interesting the ethics of it is is it it, i've heard a quote once from who i assume is an asshole (laughs) who said uh, we all are without the critic what's the point of the music which i think was this person's way of saying the art is meant to be beholden. And so thereby the critic examining the art through that act, actually that makes it the art, which is an interesting perspective to have. Yeah, as a music journalist, that's a very charitable reading and I appreciate it. I will take that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's interesting because I, I find the whole thing very fascinating because there's this role the critic has in developing artists actually i mean you can become and in jack's career we saw it you know he was the tastemaker's darling we looked at um john peel oh yeah 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 yeah. john peel kind of made jack's career in and uh, to an extent in in britain uh, you know early on in with the white yeah, strip yeah. so it there is a, an interesting role there I'm, I'm curious uh do you have any insight into the ethics of it like uh <laughs> Is there what what's the what's the grappling what's well, the responsibility because the other side of what you're talking about is critics completely destroying careers sure. which we've seen plenty I mean I I got really obsessed in high school with like early pitchfork days 
where they were, it was just like the Wild West. And they were like, speaking of assholes, yeah, like posting like <laughs> reviews <laughs> that were just like monkeys pissing in their like mouth for and giving like zero out of zeros to albums and like just like going nuts. And like it had a real tangible effect on the careers of these artists. Yeah. And so when you have a certain degree of power over somebody's career, which is going to affect livelihoods, whatever, there's right. some weird questions come up. And then it's, should you even be beholden to that? Or should you really just say, you know, I think this album is the equivalent of a gif of a monkey pissing in his mouth. Like, it, like what should you? <laughs> and so there's a lot of different ways ask, of theory. Yeah. But go ahead. Go ahead. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So do you feel a responsibility to be fair or is your fairness crafting an entertaining read for your reader? Do you feel a responsibility to the artist or are you solely serving your reader? I think it's definitely a balance. I think to write off the artist entirely, I don't know, it's 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 like separating the means of production. You know what I mean? Like it's like these this is the yeah. industry. The artists to my interpretation of of how everything's structured is the heart, blood and soul of the industry. And to kind of just write off anything, especially when I'd like to be a little idealistic and say most artists coming out are coming from a genuine place, are trying. Yeah. And, you know, you can be funny and, and snarky and you can have your criticisms and you can say, I think this is bad for X, Y, and Z. But if you don't have a little kernel of, well, here's maybe something that could be appealing to somebody else or just a certain level of respect for an artist putting their work out there until they lose it like we see with like Kanye or something then you can go you know ball wild but (laughs) at least base level base level having a certain level of respect is I think it's it's super necessary or you're going to come at everything and just say this is a 10 out of 10 or a 0 out of 10. You're the first critic I've ever heard use the word respect and I haven't talked to many critics. But I'm fascinated by this stuff, and I, I try and uh, learn about it and stuff. And, and the idea of respect for the artist never even crossed my mind. I, I'm kind of happy to hear you say that, because I've thought about criticism more in personal terms for the critic, as opposed to them thinking about the artist. Yeah, and I hope I'm not alone in that. I might be. <laughs> but And it's also different, like, when I think of music, when you think of music criticism... I conceptualize it very differently than some other forms of criticism. Yeah. For example, film criticism, I don't think as much is on the line in terms of art artistry. Yeah. And I don't mean like film is a lesser art form. I just mean when you're reviewing a Marvel film, it's a $500 million production that has hundreds if not thousands of people working with it. And a bad review isn't necessarily going to change anything. Right. Whereas yeah. with music, you could be talking about basically one kid in his bedroom <laughs> right and to me just the effect of criticism then is a little heightened and the stakes are a little higher i love how paul said there's not going to be any hard-hitting questions no, I, and we're right off the <laughs> bat talking the ethics of critic <laughs> of your of your career <laughs> i'm interested about the whole thing because because like uh i had a thought today that brought me back to my more like little music days and it was i don't know what bad bunny is and at this point i'm too afraid to ask (laughs) and i was thinking well that's a little dismissive (laughs) because an artist is putting something out there and whatever we think of that art it is a piece of that person and so 
that's where this idea of authenticity comes in and that's where the snootiness kind of comes in because you start thinking about well you know a lot of criticism at least in the past rock criticism has had tended to be sort of rallied around this idea of authenticity and mm-hmm. is this authentic or is it not and we know Ben Blackwell of third man actually lectured us one time about how authenticity is bullshit oh, yeah. which is actually a kind of an interesting perspective and one that I happen to agree with but let me ask you this what's the delineation for you between art and entertainment and do you judge both equally when you're approaching a review that is interesting i don't think i have that much of a separation between the two okay again through this process and like these classes that i did that were like the deep dives with this professor we talked a lot about taste and critics backgrounds and then a lot of class inequities and stuff like that a a great book that i would recommend that covers all of this way better than i could ever talk about it and also i've stolen a lot of just my ideas from this book but it's the 33 and a third book on celine dion's let's talk about love are you guys familiar with the 33 and a third series no no it's the series of books and they're they're not very big they're like you know kind of thin maybe like 100 page books but it's basically a journalist basically goes deep dive into one album. So there's one on, uh, you know, Radiohead's Kid A, and there's one on Nutramilk Hotels in the Airplane Over the Sea, and there's one on like a Fugazi record, and there's one on a Dylan record. But they're typically like, you know, what you would find in like Rolling Stone's top 100 albums of all time list. Right. But instead, this writer, Carl Wilson, decided no to relation. pick no yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Celine Dion's Let's Talk About Love. And instead of going the traditional route of all the other books, which are great also, by the way, of kind of doing like a history behind the thing and like a like a documentary style recap of the impact and everything that went into it, he spends the book going deep into the philosophies of taste. It's called A Journey to the End of Taste. And what the distinctions are between highbrow taste and middlebrow taste, how people treat those things, how certain things get categorized in those things. Because Celine Dion not a critical darling. Despite that, one of the highest selling artists of all time and still sells out, you know, their Vegas residency year after year after year. I think she's the number one French speaking singer ever, actually. Like it's absurd. The pride of Canada. Yes. (laughs) The chanteur, or I'm going to get that wrong, so I'm not even going to say it, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like the attempt, though. and the I took instant. French. And, yeah. uh, but his whole thing going into it was, okay, so how can I sit here as a critic and say Celine Dion has nothing to offer when she's obviously connecting with millions and millions and millions of people? And I think if you ask anybody who's snotty about music like me, you pick somebody off the, the street, or if you go to a Radiohead concert and you're like, hey, you've been standing in line for eight hours. What do you think of Celine Dion? They'll go, ah, you know, it's entertainment, it's garbage. And so to, to kind of differentiate entertainment and art and say they're mutually exclusive to me, first off, just closes you off to a lot of things. And then again, you're, you're kind of missing the point because to somebody, that is their favorite piece of art. Right. Now, is there any time in your reviewing process where you're listening to something and you say i get why this is good art but i don't like it like uh (laughs) something that comes to mind often is jack white's boarding house reach Mm -hmm. which is it's got a lot of really interesting concepts and he's doing a lot of really nuanced different things hello 
Welcome to Everything You've Ever Learned. Brought to you by Hello. Welcome to Everything You've Ever Learned. Sponsored by. However, a lot of people didn't love it for its entertainment value. So, like, yeah. is there. When you're listening to something, is there ever that kind of battle of, like, I get why this is possibly good, but also my taste is just on another level. How do you go about reviewing something with that? Yeah, that's interesting. I can't say that I've run into it a lot reviewing-wise. I've definitely run into it just being a, a fan of music and trying to listen to things that people like. Mm -hmm. But th the reason for that is because for me, if I'm going to review something... I think it's, to talk about authenticity, as a journalist or as a writer, inauthentic to approach a project that I think somebody else could do a better job with. And that's, okay. that's that would be the point of like, uh, oh, like I get why to a certain person this would be very exciting or very cool. Well, then why am I talking about it? Let them talk about it. If I don't give a shit about it, don't give me the right. pen. Like I don't, you don't need to hear me come up with 800 words for a project that I don't really care about like give it to somebody who does it's it's and it, it's kind of the same concept of just if you're going to talk about regular journalism there's the idea of kind of like the parachute journalist or the outsider journalist that comes in to a community they aren't a part of that they don't really care to learn about to just write a, a story to get content out and right. to me that's bad inauthentic writing and I don't want to feel that way in a music context either. I don't feel this way, but if I ex absolutely don't connect with hip hop at all, why am I going to then sit down and review a hip hop album? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I very much appreciate that kind of level of thinking. In my lay person's head, I have this Siskel and Ebert kind of deal of like, they're reviewing everything Every, yeah. and they're going to hate a lot of it. <laughs> but their responses definitely made people it was the Rotten Tomatoes of the, you know, yeah, 80s yeah. and 90s. But like you said, movies are obviously a little different. The budgets are different. Yeah, stuff. but I mean, you can even look at, um, I think that's just also a different, the, it differs in terms of how different publications or outlets are structured. For me, that's, yeah. a, that's kind of a luxury that I have being a staffer at Consequence because we have a team of writers and we got people of all different types of tastes and backgrounds and what they grew up with and what they're into now and where they're headed. So we can talk about like, hey, who might be best to tackle this? Where you might, you can look at somebody like Anthony Fantano on YouTube, who it's a one man thing. And he's reviewing mm -hmm. like Siskel and Ebert, everything. So he doesn't really have that luxury because if he puts somebody else up to talk about it, no one's going to care. No one's going to watch. So for him, he probably doesn't have that luxury. His only other option would just then be don't cover it at all. Hmm. James, he was the one who liked Boarding House Reach, right? The, he, he did. Yes, he was. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and he he did not care for the, the latest two. But yeah, Fantano does tend to have kind of a larger impact than he probably would like on the industry because his, yeah. you know, millions of people follow him. And that wasn't, you know, with classic publications, he didn't have necessarily millions of people all subscribed to your specific review mm -hmm. you know yeah it's an interesting new thing Woman, don't you know what i'm 
suffering from. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Jack is making a record that is truly reflective of the oversaturation of the information age and simultaneously uh, rebelling against modern rock orthodoxy. And for me, this album is also proof that whether or not rock music is refreshing or is pushing the envelope is dependent wholly on whether or not the artist is willing to take it there. All right, I'm going to leave it at that. Love this record. Great record. Fantastic record. Feeling a decent too strong nine on this album. Yes, I know. Just a guy in his living room, so that is yeah. something to think about too. <laughs> There's another know. layer too of um, you know b building a cult of personality around a reviewer, and then we talked about earlier: Are you writing for your reader? Are you writing for the artist? There becomes a level of trust or implicit trust, and therefore power with what that person mm -hmm. has to say. Think about somebody like Robert Christgau, who yeah, you know, yeah. Was worshipped and you know arguably rightfully so he's, he's kind of a jerk sometimes in his writing but he was at, at the very least very knowledgeable and smart about what he was talking about there's a power there and that was what you were talking about before making and breaking careers and things again just to keep going back to this this deep dive i did with this professor whenever i would turn on writing he would always look at it read it and then say are you writing this to educate your reader are you writing this to entertain your reader or are you just writing this to show off how cool you are because you know all these music references and he would send me he would send me like high visibility like major publication reviews or even interviews and stuff and be like this guy was just trying to throw out names that he know like obscure artists that he yeah. can reference and like what you're saying writing to the reader writing to the artist it's why are you saying this and or why are you doing it in this way? Are you doing it to look cool or to show how cool you are or how knowledgeable you are? Or are you examining the art and trying to relay that to somebody who's coming at it from a different perspective or from an outsider, so someone who's not as knowledgeable? Yeah, but like best case scenario, to me the role of the critic is to just say, here's this thing you have you might not have noticed. Yeah. Yeah. This is worth your time. Kind of thing. Let's talk about how reviews are assigned. So you're part of a staff. Are the albums selected by somebody above you and then they sort of join a pool and you all kind of pick and choose what you want? Like, do you have any insight into actually how the review process is selected? Because I am totally ignorant to that whole side of things. Yeah, for sure. Again, I think that's something that's going to be different for every outlet or publication. For example, at Consequence, our base line kind of content or you know what we put out on a regular basis isn't exactly reviews we of course love doing reviews and we we do reviews pretty regularly but again if you look at an outlet like rolling stone or pitchfork they're putting out like five album reviews a day they are like based around the album review mm -hmm. and then have like news and stuff on the side where at consequence we really put out like one or two album reviews a week we really save our album reviews for either big ticket artists albums we absolutely love and want to spotlight or albums that we think are you know at a high caliber artist that we think didn't live up to what they've done in the past and, and like that's a big thing too so hmm. for consequence it's different because we don't do terribly many so yeah. It is selected by kind of it's you know it, it can come from below or the top. It can be an, the editor says, all right, this is a big ticket artist that we 
think is, you know, like when Beyonce put out her record, like how are we not going to review the Beyonce record? So that'll come from the top down and then who wants to take this or let's, we can either look outside if we don't think any of us are the right fit. We've done freelance writers before, (laughs) or if there is a good fit, we'll get one of our staffers to do so. Um, Or I can say, I really love this record and pitch it and I can make it a pitch. And that's not a guarantee that I'm going to write a review about it, but there's an open line of communication to kind of get a review out. That's cool. Okay. So the rating system, let's talk about that. So we mentioned Pitchfork a lot. They do like 7.8 or, you know, 4.7, you know, these hilarious decimal point precision things. Is there a uniformity to the rating system at consequence or is it in the hands of the reviewer typically it's in the hands of the reviewer and then if it's something that's like bonk wild maybe an editor would be like uh let's revisit this (laughs) but something that's interesting at consequence is we i don't know exactly when we stopped doing it but we don't if you go to our reviews, like if you look at my Jack White review, I noticed that it's yeah. not top and center. In fact, you can't really even find it on the review page. I had to go to what is it called? The, the like the Metacritic aggregate. or something. Yeah, yeah, Metacritic. Yeah. I found it on Metacritic. So you know, you can find like what we rate it on Metacritic, or sometimes it gets put on like a Wikipedia page or something. But at some point, we decided because I feel like there was like a big uptick a couple of years ago in like really reevaluating like a number system or a like the hard number or letter rating systems for all art basically and I don't know if it was then or before or after but it was definitely before I, my time at consequence they decided I guess just to let the review speak for itself and you know based on the headline alone mm-hmm. since we don't just have it like you know Beyonce album review or Jack White album review we usually have like an actual like journalist type headline you know what we feel about the album you don't really need the precision of an 8.8 or a (laughs) 4.7 and then if you want to go find it you can go seek it out but at consequence it's pretty much up to the reviewer but it's more of a secondary thing and and it's really we put a lot more focus on the actual words and what are you presenting about the album what are you talking about what are you analyzing what are you leaving out of your review it's a lot more about yeah the actual content than the big ticket a plus or (laughs) 8.8 or whatever yeah which can be quite beneficial to not only the artist but the reviewer who wants to actually have their reviews read because it's a headline reading news cycle we're in now where you read the fastest bullet point you can and then you just don't even read the article half the time (laughs) yeah whereas if you saw a a rating a star rating you know if you like the artist you you check the star rating and if it was low you might read it if it was like a one or if it was a five you might read it but if it's like anywhere in the middle you'd be like nah that's all right done yep yep And so I kind of appreciate that. Now, can I pitch my review system here? Because uh, here on this show, we're sycophants, and I need need somebody to say this is good, because we like the thing so much. I invented what we like to call the Cold Stone Creamery system of like it, love it, and gotta have it. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Okay, yeah. See, you don't gotta have it, though, and that's what disappoints me. Well, see, when, you know, back back in the day when I was thinking, oh, man, I'll just be the next Anthony Fantana. Like, I'll just be the one-man review, and everyone's gonna love me and read it. That was gonna be my... My big game is the same thing. It's like, let's just have like four categories of like, hate it, whatever, love it. Oh, this is the best thing in the world. And then, you know, you can categorize it that way instead of 
Because the other thing about the rating system, which I'm sure you guys have talked about before, is people's perceptions of like what a seven mm-hmm. is or what a you know a yeah. six is. That's why you got to go like it point five. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> to certain people, if you throw a six on an album, they're gonna go, "Man, that album was shit, wasn't it?" But maybe to the reviewer, a six is like, "Oh yeah, pretty average." Yeah. But to certain readers, they're gonna go, "Oh wow, not even not even remotely worth my time if it's only a six. Like I'm, my, I'm a strict eight and up guy. Um, when really, you know, if a six could just be, oh, there's three great songs on this album that are definitely worth right. it, and everything else just kind of meh. And so you, you do kind of get lost. You kind of lose the forest for the trees sometimes if you get too bogged down with the actual like rating system, I think. Yeah, for sure. But of course, as you pointed out, I'm a journalist who wants people to read what I write <laughs> instead of just looking at yeah. my number. So I, I do have that little bit of bias. Well, that's the point of the review, isn't yeah. it? You know, to get the perspective and in, insight uh, into somebody who you know has an idea of what they're listening to and and to compare it with other things that they've listened to in the past so yeah yeah, it makes it makes sense yeah and even to i know we'll get into this uh at some point but even to kind of foreshadow my personal process a big part of what i focus on or i at least like to focus on is like a progression of an artist of where they started where they have been and what this project then is and then where that might lead and you can't sum that up in a number it, that that's a whole contextual thing that takes a couple hundred words to explain, and and you know, so it's yeah, lots of thoughts. Wait, are you saying it's uh, impossible to quantify art? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, at, nobody can do it except for me, is what I'm okay, saying. Okay, saying yeah, I'm the objective end all be all, and uh, yeah, follow me on all my socials to know exactly what is good art and what is bad art. Let's talk about your process through the lens of your Jack review. So I would say your Entering Heaven Alive review was overall pretty favorable. For sure, yeah. There was some fair criticisms in there as well. In the context of the broader perceptions of Entering Heaven Alive, your review was one of the more favorable ones. What I found more often than not was the reviewers were split starting at Boarding House Reach. Everyone's kind of on the same page about Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. People sort of like those. And then when it comes to Boarding House Reach, it diverges sharply. People yeah. love the experimentation or they find it to be unlistenable. And then the reviews of Fear of the Dawn and Entering Heaven Alive both become not about those albums. They become about yeah. Boarding House Reach and whether yeah. or not that album spoke to you or not. And if that album spoke to you, why didn't Jack keep going? If that album didn't speak to you, oh, I'm so happy he knocked that shit off. So, but yours was more in the camp of, hey, this is kind of, these are, this is, these are nice songs. You know, it was kind of a fair yeah. in-head review. So let's use that Jack review as an example of your process. So how did you approach yeah. Entering Heaven Alive? How was it, uh, how did you get the assignment? And, and talk to us a little bit about how you approached the review. Yeah, so this review specifically was kind of uh, a little tiny bit different because we... This year at Consequence started doing these big cover stories where we'll have an artist that is usually coming out with a new project and then we'll do like a big, big feature story with them. We'll do a couple side stories. We'll like maybe do a big list ranking all their stuff or whatever. And then we'll have like the album review. So this was part of that kind of whole package of the cover story because we did the whole a whole big Jack White one and we have this awesome really cool like multimedia interview with them and, and stuff like that and we did a lot of re-examining a lot of his his solo career mainly not, not even going too far into the the White Stripe stuff but 
So this review was kind of packaged with that. And so with that in mind, I, I knew that there was going to be even a little bit more traffic probably brought to the review. Yeah. And at the same time, it kind of, it's already getting packaged with all this context, 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 and all this extra content that is examining Jack White. So then there was kind of this pressure I felt internally of like, all right, well, I got to make sure like we're, we're really placing this in context of where Jack White, again, has been, is, and where he might go because my review of saying, all right, yeah, this, these songs are good and then this one's not and Boarding House Reach, right, guys, is not going to help this whole <laughs> exploration of Jack White that we're going for. So I kind of approached it in an even more intense version of what I like to do anyways, which is kind of what you did just looking at the reviews, which is I really, really like to place it in context of everything the artist has done before. So pretty much any time I get a review, I will go back to the artist and I will one by one listen to every album that led up to it. And so with Jack White, I even started back in the White Stripes days. And all right, so where really did Jack White start? Where did he hit his commercial peak with White Stripes? What did he do first as a solo artist? Where did he go with the solo artist? And then how does this make sense or not make sense from everything that's led up to it? And then, again, tag the end with, okay, what might this tell us about what he's interested in moving forward? That's something this show has done for us in researching a lot of his career is place a lot of the albums that we used to not find as favorable in a certain context, and it connected things, at least for me. I know Dead Weather was one of Paul's, uh, not one of his favorite Jack White bands, yeah. but it. I feel like through the research and the context, we got more of an appreciation for why it exists. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, yeah. and, and its placement in music history and in his you know personal history as well. So yeah, I do like that uh, contextual approach. Yeah, and I mean, again, if we're talking about the role of criticism, like, I think a Beyond the kind of like consumer report aspect of, oh, here's what I think is worth your time and here's what's not worth your time. I like to approach things with a certain level of, and here's some things you might not know, and here's things that might help you appreciate this better, or maybe here's some things that might help you appreciate past things more. And that doesn't mean you have to like it more, but maybe a deeper level of understanding will kind of give you a little more respect towards something that you don't actually really enjoy listening to. If you help me along, I will promise to love you. Help me along, and I promise to tell you how I feel all along. I'll keep nothing else from you. Help me along, and I'll help you as well. I think it's really important to make sure that beyond just listing songs you like and you don't like, like coming up with an arc, coming up with, (laughs) you know, a a story kind of sounds weird, but a storytelling. I mean, all all life is storytelling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the thing. And it's, you know, you don't want a a review can be really boring. It can be really boring. A bad review of just somebody kind of going through the album like in order of the track list and kind of just saying like, yeah, this one was okay, this one wasn't as good, can get really dull. So beyond, like, I don't really feel a need 
to necessarily talk about every single song that's on the record. I don't feel a need to, you know, go point by point about everything. Like, what are the main things the album is trying to come across with and how successful is it doing that is kind of the main point. And then you can kind of craft a story, whether it's here's Jack White breaking away or here's Jack White coming back or even going deeper than that and saying like, here's maybe some things that Jack White is translating from his personal life into his art or just what he's interested in. Like again, for this album, it's he's really kind of stripping it back and that's kind of the big headline but when you dive into it, it's not just him and an acoustic guitar, like doing like a s- acoustic solo set. Like, sure, it's it's unplugged to a certain extent, but it's still like very meticulously crafted. There's a lot going on in the songs. Stripped back kind of gives you an impression of like, oh, like a, like a Nirvana unplugged or something. Maybe like a little simplified, softer. But that's not really what the album was. And so to kind of just painted as that i thought kind of missed the point a little bit so it's really what is the album trying to get across like i said i'm kind of just rambling at this point but no no what is the album trying to get across and what it, and how successful is it so for this album it's this album seems to be jack white experimenting and experimenting is a funny word because it's not you know exa- like boarding house reach but it's an experiment of mm-hmm. can i do what i do with this set of limitations and for a lot of the songs then you look at how successful it was, and I thought, yeah, that was pretty successful. Like, you can go to the core of your songwriting and put it in a new context. And and for me personally, now we're just getting to my personal statements. I thought it was even better than uh, Fear of the Dawn. Yeah, yeah, because us too. Of that. Us too and actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. How many times did you have to listen through? I mean, any particular album? Do you do multiple listens before? Do you do like one to get your snapshot, snap judgment, and then kind of go yeah. through it again? Or how often do you listen through a record? Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you could have guessed there's no like hard number that I'm like, all right, I got to listen to the album six times or whatever. But <laughs> it is like do the initial listen. I try not to think about it too hard. Like just like yeah. let me listen to the record. Let it hit you. Yeah. yeah. If I if I wasn't reviewing this, what would I think? You know, would I go back to it? Do I like it? Would I recommend it? Would I never think about it again? And then from there, kind of just re-listening to it until you feel some amount of certainty of what how, how I feel about the album. So sometimes it could be initial listen, then three times in, and then I feel like I've, I've got enough of a grasp on the album to start writing about it. And then I pretty much just have the album on repeat while I'm writing, looking for any more details that either support my argument or (laughs) might disprove my argument or you know stuff like that um so for like this album i think i listened to it once i actually was not as i didn't like the album as much my first time listening to it i was kind of Mm -hmm. i had a certain level of uh i don't know about this one and then it was through those last next couple listens where i really started to pick up things that i really like about it and then yeah and then so maybe that was you know another four or five listens and then also putting those listens into different contexts so you got the one listen where you're sitting down with your notebook and you're you're scribbling furiously of like oh wow what a weird production choice or like oh man really deep in the mix there's this little subtle thing that totally adds everything or putting it in the context of i'm washing the dishes and like i don't really have to pay attention that much to it but it's on and then how does that change my perception of the album? Putting it on in the car, putting it on over the speakers compared to my headphones. I, I do like to place it in different contexts because one, again, to go back to kind of the consumer reports aspect of criticism, 
that's not how people are listening to music. They don't listen to music writing in a notebook with the highest quality <laughs> headphones they can afford. And two, as much as you learn from that, and it is an important part of the process, uh, it also puts blinders on certain parts of the music. Like there's so many things on every album review you've ever done that little aspects or little things that I notice when I'm kind of zoned out doing the dishes listening to it and then it hits me and I'm like, oh my God, there's a whole other part of this that I missed when I'm going under a microscope and, and kind of just really focusing on it. You kind of, I miss this whole big thing that's so obvious. And so, yeah, I guess the two main things is putting it under different contexts until you get to a point where you're like, okay, I know how I feel about this album and I know what I want to say about it. Yeah, I think that's incredibly smart and a responsible way to listen to the album. Respectful, I like to say. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. That's, but like, that's it, the key. It, that's my takeaway from this. I, yeah, just, yeah. I love that. It is entirely like because an art in general is not just the art that's created. It's like you said. It's where you're consuming the art has a big impact on how you think about it. If you're looking at art in a museum, you obviously will think that art is better than if you're not looking at it in a museum. Mm -hmm. You're like, somebody else liked it. But like, if you're listening to it doing the dishes, there's going to be subtleties that you miss, like you said. So I really, I appreciate that uh, because I tend to listen a lot in the car. Mm -hmm. So I'm hyper-focused for a while and then focused on the road for a minute or if somebody's talking to me, I'll miss, you know, great sections of... (laughs) of nuance in in the song. So like, uh, yeah, that, that plays a, a huge role and it's nice to hear that you're doing that for your reviews. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's like a classic joke at this point on, on music, Twitter or social medias of there's so many, <laughs> so many jokes making fun of kind of like the really uptight critic listening to, to some like trap album or some like club album and being like, well, you know, it's a whatever, whatever, whatever. And, you know, maybe shitting on it. And then everyone's like, well, yeah, because the music is made to be heard while you're surrounded by 200 people, high energy, not thinking about it too much and having a good time. And maybe then you will find why it's number one on the billboard. And it's like, yeah, so there's placing it in different contexts outside of just the purely academic side of it, yeah. I think, is, is paramount. Jonah, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a fascinating discussion. Once again, can we have a plug for the single that's coming out? Yes, please. I appreciate it. That is going to be Six Flags Guy on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever. The title is really annoying, but it's it's just a bunch of X's. So if you want to look that up too, you can. You can find us on all social media platforms at Six Flags Guys. So the band's plural, but the social media is, no, sorry, the band is singular, but the social media is plural. And that will come out in just about two weeks now. Yeah, just under. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I have one last question, if you will. It can be a lightning round question. Reviewers have often tried to quantify Jack's guitar playing in uh, (laughs) one or two words, Uh, a, a squawk or a squanch. Uh, is there one word you could pinpoint for the type of sounds that emanate from Jack's particular guitar playing? Is there a word you can come up with? It can be made up. It can be not made up. You would up, prefer it to be made prefer. up. Well, man, yeah. Well, you, whoever was coming up with these, they, the S really makes sense to me. I don't know why. I like, But they all start with S, and for some reason that, that makes sense to me. So I wanted to say like, like scraunch, squarch, squarch. Maybe. Squarch. Squarch Squarch. is also good. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jonah. This has been a blast. 
All right. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. We're going to try and do these shows with some regularity. Life has been chaotic at the moment, so we're going to try and do a little jags here. But we really appreciate you joining us. We'd also like to spend a special shout out. Thank you to Matthew Jacobson for Uh putting us and our humble podcast on the tour poster for Jack White's final 2022 Supply Chain Issues Tour poster. And the contest is still ongoing at this point. I think we should probably come up with an end date. Oh, yeah. We didn't do that, did we? Yeah. How about January 1st? <laughs> you heard it here from James. James wants you to fucking hustle. Yeah, get, get on board. <laughs> or get off this train. But thank you, Matthew, for doing that. That took us by surprise and was amazing. Um, and also, thank you to everybody who listened to the Top Special Record Tours episode that was one of the biggest reactions we've ever got and it was really great hearing from everyone their um various favorite raconteur songs uh, because we love talking about that stuff so that was really awesome Thank that's you. why we're here all right james until next episode i will be looking for a home in a scrunchy guitar oh and i will be looking for a home in the shed with my pitchforks okay see you next time <laughs> bye <laughs> The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at thirdmencast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time. Paul, that is an obscene amount of tabs. Let's go back to our song. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not for profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100 plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. Have we single-handedly convinced everyone that Jack White's friends with to like us except Jack White? And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. 
You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yes. Is that not just shitting on Meg White? It is kind of. She was holding him back. Yeah. That's unnecessary. Oh, all of these reviewers are dudes. (laughs) There's there's been two women. Oh, I forgot for about thirty seconds that the game board was slanted against women. Anyway, for oh, so so glad that reminded me. I'm leaving all of that in the episode. By the way. (laughs) 